Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Um, today is the, the August 2021 Community IT Innovators webinar, and we're really happy to have you with us today. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing the rapidly changing IT landscape and how it's evolved throughout the pandemic to really support working outside of and independent of a central office location. I guess that was a bit of a spoiler. Uh, as you'll see in a minute um, from my first slide. Uh, my name is Johan Hammerstrom. Really happy to have you all here with us today. I'm the CEO of Community IT. I'm also the moderator for our webinar series. Because it's August, I'm the sole presenter today, uh, and I will be the, the expert on today's Ask the Expert discussion. The slides and the recording for today's webinar will be available on our website, as well as our YouTube channel later this week. And if you happen to be watching right now on YouTube, uh, feel free to subscribe to our channel and you'll get automatic updates every month when we upload our latest webinar. Um, these Ask the Expert uh, formats are meant to be interactive. So I really encourage you to submit questions using the question and answer panel, and I will do my best to answer them. I'm gonna try to answer them in real time. Uh, we have a fair amount of material today, but, um, but I think we'll be able to get through it all with plenty of time for questions throughout. So before we begin, I wanted to just tell you a little bit more about Community IT in case you're not familiar with us. We're a 100% employee owned company and our team of almost 40 staff is dedicated to helping nonprofit organizations advance their missions through the effective use of technology. We're a technology expert and we've been consistently named a top 501 Managed Services Provider by Channel Futures, and it's an honor we received again uh, in 2021. So we're very happy about that. So let's go ahead and move on to our discussion. I'm gonna go through the agenda first. Uh, and actually, I'm gonna share with you all a set of resources that um, we put together. Today's um, presentation is really an overview of a lot of topics that we've been very interested in and following very closely uh, really for the last two years. And there's a lot of different threads right now in the world of IT that are really coming together in, a, in an interesting way. And that's really the goal of today's uh, presentation. Um, but we have a lot of resources that go into much more detail on these topics than what I'm gonna be presenting today. So I just sent out to you all through the chat window a, uh, a PDF that contains links to those additional resources. So if, if, you, if there's anything that I talk about today that you're specifically interested in, you wanna find out more about, obviously you can ask uh, questions today, which uh, definitely encourage, but you can also refer to that PDF for more information as well. So today really wanna talk, really trying to answer this question, do you still need an office? Um, is that something that organizations still need? For a long time, uh, we felt like an office was a pretty critical part to an organization working, and that extended to all aspects of the organization's um, existence, including IT. 
Uh, want to talk a lot about what it looks like to manage devices without having a central office. Going to talk about new options for your telephone system or telephony, as we like to call it. And then finally, the importance of cybersecurity in uh, today's new world. So I'll just jump to the chase. This first question, do you still need an office? And as I alluded to earlier, the answer is no. Uh, you don't really need an office, at least not from an IT perspective. And for a long time, that wasn't the case. There were a lot of things that you couldn't do from an IT standpoint if you didn't have an office. Uh, but that's really changed pretty dramatically over the last uh, two years or so. And there was a lot going on in IT leading up to that. But there's a lot that's changed that, that I want to go over with you today. So fundamentally, you no longer need on-premise equipment uh, and you no longer need on-site support. It's possible to handle all of your equipment needs. All of the things that on-premise equipment was providing for you uh, can be done in other ways and support can be delivered remotely. It no longer requires you know, the IT person, if you will, in the IT closet, um, ready to, to respond to issues. And in fact, I think our recommendation uh, more and more is really moving towards encouraging even organizations that need an office for other business reasons. There may be a lot of reasons why your nonprofit um, still needs an office. Um, and that may be the case, but we really think, we're really trying to encourage our clients to design their IT systems as if they didn't have an office. And this was something, this was a real lesson that I think a lot of organizations learned early on in the pandemic. Organizations that had switched over to just giving their staff laptops, they were able to pick that laptop up and go home and, and use it from home. Whereas organizations that still had desktops, those des desktops were left you know, stranded in the office. So we feel like it's, it's something that um, allows an organization to be more agile and more flexible if they're designing their IT systems as if they didn't have an office. Like I said, there are other reasons why an office might be important for an organization. Um, but I think the more you can get into a mindset of not having an office or not tying your IT infrastructure to a physical office, uh, the better positioned you'll be long-term because the uncertainty remains. And uh, I think as most of you know, with the Delta variant um, spreading recently, uh, you know, we've, we've seen here in DC, mask mandates have been reinstated. There's a lot of uncertainty about what the future will hold, even though it felt like just a few months ago, we were coming out of the pandemic. So we don't know what's gonna happen uh, by the time, if you're listening to this on YouTube, Hopefully the pandemic is, is over by then, um, but we just don't know. And because of that uncertainty, um, we really feel like organizations are, you know, they're, they're future-proofing themselves, they're creating greater uh, robustness and reliability by planning an IT infrastructure that, that exists outside of the office. So the place where that really happens, um, first and foremost, is around device management. So back in the day when, you know, think back 10 or 15 years uh, before the cloud was, was around, um, you really needed, you know, most organizations had uh, a server or a couple of servers in their closet, or if they were a larger organization, maybe they had a dedicated server room, and all of the computers in the office were connecting to that server, and the server had all of your user accounts, and passwords were stored there, and your shared files were there. 
Um, and the server was also responsible for making sure that all of the workstations were up to date on their um, patches and that the antivirus was running. So everything required you know, physical connection within an office in order for you to effectively manage devices. And um, that's changed. You no longer need that. And I wanna talk a little bit about, about why that's changed. And I see a question came in, just gonna glance at it really quickly. Um, I will come back, this is a great question. I will come back to it uh, after I, before I move on to the next section, after I get through with the uh, device management part. So um, what's really changed is that all of the things that you used to rely on a server for um, have all moved out to the cloud. And a lot of that has to do with Microsoft and its cloud-based system. So many of you are probably familiar with, um, with Microsoft. I, I'm sure you're all familiar with Microsoft, but you're probably familiar with Microsoft's Office 365. Uh, many of you probably have your email hosted in Office 365. You may have moved your files to SharePoint or OneDrive. There's a lot of um, Office, you know, Microsoft Office services that Microsoft move, moved out to the cloud. What you may not be aware of is that Microsoft also um, moved the, uh, all of the stuff, all the other things that were happening on that server in the closet, all of that's been moved out to the cloud as well. So now you don't need a server to manage username and, and pass, usernames and passwords. That's all happening in what Microsoft calls Azure Active Directory, which is cloud-based, it's cloud-hosted. And actually that's the, the system that sits behind Office 365. So when you go to, you know, to Office, to Outlook.com to look at your work email and you're logging in with a username and password, you're actually logging into Azure Active Directory and then that's connecting you to your organization's email resources. So Azure Active Directory is a very, very powerful tool and it doesn't just manage um, your user accounts, but you can also use it to register your Windows devices. So if you have Windows 10 workstations that your organization is using, you can connect those also to Azure Active Directory. You can, what's called join them to the Azure domain. And that's, that's sort of the cloud-based version of what used to happen when your computers were joined to your on-premise domain. And this is very powerful because it enables you to use another tool that Microsoft provides called Microsoft Intune. And that enables you to um, manage those devices remotely. So this is getting a little bit into the weeds, but there used to be this uh, tool called Group Policy. So organizations could um, define a lot of things. They could uh, automatically install printers. They could automatically add icons to the desktop of any of the computers that were um, on the local domain, as it was called. Um, they could automate profile setups. You could even automate things like, you know, Internet Explorer bookmarks. Uh, oftentimes organizations would set it up so that when you opened the web browser, it would default to the organization's website. That was all being done through this um, system called group policy. But it required those machines uh, to be um, on a local network and joined to a local domain. And so if you take your laptop home, 
then what happens? You know, you're not connecting to the to the local domain anymore. And uh, for a while, there was a you know people would use VPNs. Uh, those were not very good. They were clunky. They're difficult to use. Um, there was another tool called Direct Access. Some of you might have heard of and been familiar with. Also, not great. Difficult to use. And finally, um, Microsoft said we're not going to try to facilitate you connecting your uh, Windows laptop to you to this small office. Let's just have you connect to the cloud and do all of these things from the cloud. And that's really what Intune does. So it enables organizations to manage all of their laptops through a cloud-based interface. So all of if your organization is dispersed right now and most of your staff are working from home, uh, if you have Microsoft Intune set up, uh, you you'll be able to see all of your organization's laptops. Uh, through a cloud-based interface. And those laptops are connecting directly uh, to the Microsoft Cloud. And from there, you can do all kinds of things. You can set up uh, Windows configurations, all of the things that you used to be able to do locally, you can now do through the cloud. If your organization has certain uh, standard software that needs to be installed on all of the laptops, um, that, will, that can be defined in Intune and that can be rolled out uh, in Intune as well. So it's a very powerful tool for centrally managing an organization's laptops, um, regardless of where they are. They no longer need to be in an office. And in fact, um, Microsoft has kind of deprecated group policy, some of those what we call legacy methods for managing laptops. They're no longer really being supported actively by Microsoft. Microsoft really sees this as the future. So Intune is very powerful. There's some additional things you can do with Intune. And that, that is based on this new technology called Microsoft Autopilot. So one of the big challenges that we used to have um, prior to this system that Microsoft has developed is how do you get a laptop set up for new staff? Or if someone leaves the organization, how do you take their laptop and make it available for their replacement? You know, what do you, how does that work? Back in the day, the laptop had to physically go to the office, you know, to the IT department. They had to manually wipe the laptop. They had to put a new image on. They had to reinstall it. They had to configure it and set it up. And it required a lot of that physical touch point. Well, what Microsoft Autopilot allows you to do is enroll the hardware directly in Azure Active Directory. So if you have, um, let's say you go to order couple new laptops from Dell. You want to order them for your staff. Your staff are spread out. You have one staff person in Chicago. You have another staff person in Nashville. You maybe have someone uh, in Orlando. Um, in the old days, you'd have to ship, you'd have to order the laptops from Dell, ship them to wherever your IT person was. That person would then get them set up and configured and then have to sh ship them out to the different staff in those three different cities. Now, when you order the laptops from Dell, you can specify that they are part of your organization and you can have them shipped directly to the staff. And when they arrive and they turn them on, they're basically gonna get a welcome message saying, you know, welcome to your organization's name. Uh, please log in with your username and password. And they would log in with their username and password. Um, and that would basically, the laptop would start being configured automatically uh, based on all of the policies that are set up for your organization. 
So essentially, um, you enroll the hardware in Microsoft Autopilot, and that tells Microsoft that this physical device belongs to your organization. Once that happens, then the only way you can access that device is using a username and password that is affiliated with your organization that's present in Azure Active Directory. And once you log on, then all of the policies that you've defined in Intune automatically get applied to the laptop. And then if that person leaves the organization, they can, they can just ship the, uh, you can basically reset the laptop automatically from the cloud and they can ship the laptop directly uh, to another staff person and it would start the process all over again. So it's a very powerful tool for um, managing, configuring and provisioning laptops without having the need for, for a centralized office. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause there because uh, my next slide actually, I think, addresses one of the, um, one of the questions. And um, there are a couple other questions that have come in that I wanna get to. So uh, the first question is um, a nonprofit that ha does have equipment on site. Um, so they have a Synology, which is a network attached storage device. Um, the network attached storage is basically a, something you can store files in. Um, this organization has uh, Netgear equipment, which is um, the switch, the routing equipment for routing the internet connection, providing Wi-Fi. They also have internet phone equipment and a desktop for the IT company. Um, are you saying we can get away with without some of this equipment, even though we're a hybrid office? Um, it depends, <laughs> right? That's what every consultant will say. It depends. You probably can get away with some of the equipment. Now, if you still need an office, you're gonna still need the Netgear equipment because if you have staff coming into the office and trying to get on the internet, the Netgear equipment will be needed uh, for them to be able to get on the internet. Um, for the Synology, it really depends on the kinds of files that you're storing on that device. So if it's just a substitute file server and you have a lot of Word documents, Excel documents, you know, your organization's files are on that device, then it's possible that those files could be migrated off of the Synology and on into a cloud-hosted system like SharePoint or um, Box or Dropbox or OneDrive. Uh, that may or may not be, that, that migration is typically not a trivial one. Uh, sometimes it can be easier, straightforward. Sometimes it can be more complicated. Um, but that's something that you want to explore, you know, the possibility of, of migrating those files. If those are more media files, videos, photos, that's one area where um, the cloud still remains somewhat expensive as a solution for all of your digital assets as they're known. And um, you know, that's, that's an area where some additional discussion is gonna be needed. Um, now, if you, if you still have an office, it's still important for your organization to lease an office, then it probably makes sense to leave that device there uh, if it's storing media files. But the, if your organization doesn't need an office anymore um, or is using like a shared workspace, uh, then there might be some creative options for, for how to deal with those files. And I'll talk about the phone equipment in the next section. So I'll come back to that. Um, so a, uh, the next question is um, uh, an organization that doesn't use Microsoft, but instead uses Google Workspace, is there an equivalent form of device management for Google Workspace? Um, 
And uh, Ken, good to see you. Thank you for joining us today. Ken provided a great uh, link um, to the Google credential provider uh, for Windows, um, which is a substitute. Um, one of the things that we've actually been recommending, or we're starting to explore it, I should say. So a lot of this is new um, and, uh, you know, we don't have enough reps under our belt, if you will, for me to like endorse this wholeheartedly. But um, technically, you know, based on everything we've researched, it should work. We've tested it out and it works. Um, but you can basically create a connection between Azure Active Directory and Google Workspace. And you basically set up Google Workspace as your primary identity provider. And so all of your usernames and passwords, your account identification, is primarily being managed in Google Workspace, which is good if you're using you know, Google Workspace for your email, you're using Google Drive, Google Docs, Google Sheets, et cetera. Um, but then all of your hardware management would be happening in Azure Active Directory, and these two would be synced up. So Google Workspace, still your primary source of identity, but you've, you've also set up um, Azure Active Directory for managing your, your Windows 10 machines. Um, so I think that's, that's something we're exploring. Um, I think, like I said, we, we don't have enough real world experience under our belt for me to say that that's definitively the best solution. But our, our, our guess is that, you know, some of the things that Microsoft is doing right now with a remote cloud-based management of Windows workstations is just incredible. Like it's, it's amazing how well it works um, and, you know, it's not something Google's ever going to be able to do because Microsoft owns the whole stack. They're developing Windows 10. Uh, they're able to connect to connect it, you know, in a really tight way with um, with Azure. So uh, for now, it looks like, you know, this whole process of automated provisioning, it's going to require you to rely on Microsoft. Um, but if you base, but we think that you're going to be able to sort of separate, you know, keep part the waters, if you will, such that um, all of your hardware device management is happening in Azure on Microsoft and all of your information systems and identity management is happening uh, in Google. And that if you take that approach, it should enable you to, to kind of get the best of both worlds. Um, let's see here. Uh, does everyone need a business premium Microsoft 365 account to use Intune or do we only need a couple of licenses? That's a great question actually don't have that slide in this deck. Um, we did a, a webinar that was kind of a deep dive on autopilot. Um, I think it was last month. And if you, if you go into that webinar, there's a slide that has a specifically, you know, an outline of the licensing requirements. Um, you do need business premium. Nonprofits get 10 licenses for free. So if you're a small organization and you have 10 staff or less, going with business premium is, is the way to go. And you can get all of this with your business, with your free 10 free business premium licenses. Um, for organizations that are not using Microsoft regularly, um, like they don't have an e, uh, a E3 license, a, Win, a um, Microsoft 365 E3 license, um, or EM plus S, which is what you use for some of the security. Um, you can get an Intune license, which I think is $1.50 or $2 per month per device. So you can just buy Intune licenses uh, to do this. You know, Microsoft's licensing is not 
always simple and I would, I would encourage you to either uh, work with your IT support provider um, to get more details on that. TechSoup is a great resource for understanding Microsoft licensing uh, or feel free to you know, send us a follow-up after the webinar and we'd be happy to um, look at your specific uh, use case. Um, laptops, uh, Windows 10 Pro, yes. They need to be Windows 10 Pro or Windows 10 Enterprise. Windows 10 Home uh, does not give you the full feature set that Pro or Enterprise provide. So that's a thank you for noting that. Um, you want to make sure that you've got Windows 10 Pro or, or Enterprise. And uh, since I'm going through the questions, the, the last one right now is, do you have any new innovations for when the power goes out? Uh, nothing, nothing new or innovative. It's kind of do the best you can. Hopefully you've got a full charge on your battery and you can use your phone as a hotspot. Um, that's the, that's kind of the, that's how we ha handle power outages, um, at the moment. So I don't have a better answer than that, unfortunately. Uh, great, great questions. Keep them coming. Um, I'm going to move on in the presentation, but as more questions roll in. I'll, I'll pause again to, to go through those. Um, one other thing you can, you can also integrate with Okta. So if you're using Okta as your identity management uh, solution, um, you can integrate that with Azure Active Directory. And it's kind of the same concept as with Google Workspaces where you're using Okta for identity management, but you're using Azure for your device management. So it's kind of an interesting, um, Another interesting way of looking at it, but uh, I think it's, it, in theory, it should work, right? And it's something that we're going to be exploring in more detail uh, in the rest of the year. All right. Um, oh, great question. How does, win, how does the upcoming Windows 11 fit into the roadmap? It seems to obsolete many devices that are relatively new. I, I'll need to look into that a little bit more. Um, Windows 11 is a free update. So if you have Windows 10, um, you can automatically upgrade to Windows 11. And um, I guess the, the, I'm not fully aware of the spec requirements for Windows 11 and whether or not existing um, laptops, like a laptop that might be three or four years old, you know, if it's too old to really run Windows 11 effectively, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I'm gonna have to look into that. And then also, uh, how much longer will Microsoft support this entire framework on Windows 10? My guess is that it'll, it'll be for a while. So I think, you know, our recommendation is that you replace laptops generally every three to four years. Uh, you know, if they're just sitting in someone's home and not, you know, moving around a lot, you can maybe get away with a five-year replacement cycle. And our sense is that um, Microsoft will maintain support for Windows 10 you know, within the bounds of that replacement cycle. So I think it should be okay. Um, that would be my guess, that would be my guess. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit. We've been talking about um, devices and how you can manage them if you don't have a central office or any centralized IT resources. Another um, part of being in an office is the phone system. Uh, and most offices, well, I think it's a mixed bag. A lot of organizations um, still had um, on-premise phone systems that they were using, like a Mitel system. 
uh, some organizations had moved to cloud-based VoIP solutions uh, like Ring Central, <clears throat> but though they were still using, um, you know, handsets and um, you know dedicated telephony hardware that was located in the office. In some cases, people took that hardware home with them. Uh, in some cases, it won't work at home. Um, but you know, the traditional telephone systems really depended on a central office uh, to work effectively. And we've now entered a world where any kind of telephone system, excuse me, any kind of telephone system you can think of, whether it's a standard telephone system or, or you know, a, a receptionist system that has call routing rules or hunt groups, or even a call center that's providing customer service, all of that can now be handled uh, in the cloud and doesn't require any on-premise hardware at all. So the, uh, basically what, what we've seen a lot of is um, organizations moving away from a separate telephone system as a communication tool. Um, as you all know, uh, everybody, I think for the most part has moved to Zoom or Teams or Google Meet or another video conferencing system. And a lot of the communications that have been happening uh, in the business world over the last year and a half, which maybe used to happen via a telephone call, are now happening uh, via one of those video conferencing solutions. And so what's happening is, um, you know, telephones and telephone calling is kind of becoming a subset of um, this richer form of communication, which could include a video conference, could inc include a one-to-one -one video call, it could include real-time chat. And um, our recommendation is, for the most part, go with the app that is most familiar to your staff. I think that's one of the things that's been particularly um, frustrating or confusing for uh, nonprofit staff with telephony is they have the software that they like and know how to use, which might be Zoom or it might be Teams. And then they have this other telephone software or, or hardware, and it's just a completely different user interface. It's a completely different interaction paradigm. And it becomes confusing and it becomes frustrating. Well, wait, what do you mean if I, if I wanna talk to somebody, can't I just push this button? Why do I have to go over to this other system and go through this whole, um, you jump through all these hoops you know, to make a call. So what's happening is um, a lot of uh, the most common solutions like Teams and Zoom um, are, are incorporating traditional telephony um, into their solution. So, uh, you can basically, you know, bring together in one app every method of communication that your organization might use, whether it's video meetings or chat or phone calls. You can start any of those from your from your app, and uh, you can collaborate seamlessly across, you know, the different uh, software that you have um, at your organization. So, got a little bit of a demo. I don't think this slide has any. Any additional? Let me show you the demo, and then I'll I'll come back to this and can talk about this a little bit more. But here you see um, the person in Teams clicking on the calls icon, dialing a ten-digit phone number, hitting call, and now they're calling somebody. So, you know, you may be in Teams all day, 
and you're going in and out of Teams meetings, you're calling people in your organization using um, you know, direct calling in Teams, and then you have to call somebody outside of your organization. You don't know how to get them on Teams, but you do have their phone number. You can just call them directly from Teams. And this really simplifies the communication experience for the organization, because instead of having to manage multiple uh, software, everything can be done through Teams. And it's not just Teams, but uh, Zoom has a similar, um, Zoom has a similar uh, set of functionality um, where from the Zoom app, uh, using the interface that you're familiar with, you can go in and dial phone numbers um, and receive calls as well. So both Teams and Zoom, uh, you can migrate over your existing phone numbers um, and, uh, and, and accept calls as well as make calls. So um, this is a, just kind of a quick overview of how all of this works. There was another webinar we did maybe four or five months ago, which had a lot more detail about how all of this works. And I think you know it's important to look at your current phone system, find out what your contract, you know how long your contract term is is for, um, and when when the contract is up, you know maybe five or six months ahead of that uh, would be a good time for you to um, start looking at potentially looking at other options. Now there are plenty of use cases where it still makes sense to have a traditional phone system, but if you if you're no longer you know inhabiting an office. Um, you can, you can move towards a system like this. And in general, it's gonna handle you know, most of your telephony needs. Um, so a question, can you move phone numbers from another VoIP service to Teams? Um, looking to keep phone numbers from another service? The answer is yes. So basically setting up phone lines in, and the, to set up, um, to enable this in Teams, really means setting it up in Microsoft 365. So you have to purchase additional licenses, um, assign those to user accounts, and then they get provisioned uh, in Microsoft Business Voice. Um, and then as part of that process, you can port um, phone numbers over from your existing provider into uh, Microsoft Business Voice. So it is possible to move the phone numbers over. Um, I think if you're a small organization, with maybe, you know, 10, 15, 20 staff, and, you know, you, your staff are not making or, or taking a lot of phone calls, that's probably a relatively straightforward process that you could do on your own if you're comfortable with, savvy with, um, with, uh, with Microsoft's licensing and administration on the back end of Microsoft 365. If you're a larger organization where you use your, your phone system uh, in a more robust way, then um, you know, it'd probably be worth uh, getting some assistance with that and making sure that you do a really thorough job of vetting whether or not this is gonna be a, the right solution um, from, for the organization. And the same holds for Zoom's phone as well. You can port the phone numbers over from Zoom. Um, great, I don't know if I know the answer to this. Does Zoom have the ability to provide a phone tree to allow people to find the extension they need? I think they do. I know um, the Microsoft Business Voice does have a phone tree. Uh, it's not gonna be, as, those sorts of features are starting to get into the realm of more advanced telephony features. And I think that's the area where, like if you have a phone tree and you have it set up in a certain way with certain messaging, 
and that's an, that's an important um, business need that your organization has, uh, you're really going to want to vet how Zoom handles that, how um, Microsoft Business Voice handles that before making the leap. Because uh, you, you may find that um, your existing phone provider allows for a lot of customization as far as phone trees go or you know, auto attendant messages that may not be there with Microsoft. And if it's not there with Microsoft, you know, it's, you're out of luck. Like it's a huge company and it's set up the way that it's set up and, and they may or may not change it or improve it. So I think that's with those sorts of needs like phone trees, hunt groups, um, that sort of thing. Uh, it's definitely worth taking the time to evaluate a couple of different telephony solutions. I think these are worth evaluating. Um, they're, they're easy, they're lightweight, but you wanna make sure that they have all the features and functionality that your, that your organization needs. Um, and this, uh, the question about um, how would people across both states contact us. Um, if you want to provide a little bit more information about, uh, I assume they're, they're calling you right now. Um, uh, this is a nationwide calling plan on both of these solutions. And so people from, and I think you could even add 800 numbers, although I'm not 100% certain about that. And they even include international calling. So if you have international calling needs or international offices, um, they can, they can uh, assist with that uh, toll-free number. I think it supports toll-free number, but that's a great question. That's something you'd wanna explore specifically. And there was a question earlier about um, computer leasing programs. Um, I know that uh, most um, computer vendors, laptop vendors have leasing programs. Dell has a leasing program as does CDW, you know, if you're buying a Lenovo machine from CDW. Uh, I don't have any specific information on their, on their leasing programs. All right, so let me go on to um, the next topic, which is cybersecurity. So um, this is partly motivated by uh, this concept of beyond office and working outside of an office. And it's partly motivated by just a, an explosion uh, of cybersecurity incidents. Um, you've probably seen them in the news. Um, we've certainly seen it firsthand with the organizations that we support, organizations that are coming to us uh, to help them um, you know, post, post incident. So there, there's a lot going on. It continues to, to grow unfortunately, as a problem that plagues most small businesses and nonprofit organizations and large, I mean, everybody, we're all sort of subject to cybersecurity uh, problems and challenges. Um, so it's really important, but I think it's, you know, the theme here, I guess, is when you move outside of your office, which used to be like a walled garden behind a firewall that you controlled and protected all of the machines and information in your office, now that everything is you know, in the cloud and distributed and dispersed, uh, it really sort of changes the mentality that you need um, for thinking about cybersecurity. So we wanted to make sure that we, we touched on that topic. And just as a good reminder that if you're going to, you know, move outside of the office, 
um, you got to be mindful of the cybersecurity uh, landscape as well as um, some best practices that it's really important to adopt uh, just good habits and best practices to, to stay protected. So as you can see here, um, the, the, these are uh, the number of cybersecurity complaints um, uh, submitted to the IC3. And there were 300,000 back in 2016, slight increase, set 2017, slight increase, 2018 and 19, and then it just exploded. It practically doubled in 2020. Um, the pandemic really sort of brought out a lot of, uh, you know, hackers and cyber criminals. And it, you know, it's kind of a watershed year uh, from a cybersecurity standpoint. And so it's a, it's a large problem. It's a growing problem. And we, you know, we really try to emphasize it as much as we can to the organizations that we support. It's really something you can't take too seriously. It's, uh, it's something that we found, you know, if you can improve your cybersecurity uh, stance, your cybersecurity posture in any way, uh, you really should. So what are some of the best practices? Um, these are what we consider sort of minimal acceptable standards. Um, you really wanna put in place an acceptable use policy. Most organizations have this. It would be a good idea to review it um, policy review is not, I mean, there may be some people who, who live for it, but I think in most organizations, everyone's kind of relieved when the policy has been written or reviewed and can be safely stowed in a secure place in the file system. And the fact is, if you're not reviewing it on a regular basis, it's going to get out of date very quickly. And it's not just about having the written policy, but about the thought process you have to go through in order to write the policy. So, um, you know, we see IT acceptable use policies that, um, you know, still refer to, to tools and technology that haven't been used in years. And old social, you know, MySpace or, you know, MySpace I've seen in some IT acceptable use policy documents. I think MySpace might still be around, but if, if it's being referred to in your acceptable use policy, um, you know, it probably means no one's looked at it in a while. And there are a lot of new threats uh, and working from home that should really be incorporated into that. So if you haven't looked at it in a while, we encourage you to, to take a look at it and to, uh, to update it. Computer updates, this is just so critical. Um, as soon as the updates come out, we, we strongly recommend applying those uh, to the computer. Um, Microsoft has a pretty good um, update you know, rhythm and the updates are coming out regularly. Uh, you can manage that to a certain extent through um, Intune, which I had talked about earlier. Um, but once the update is released, the update is released because uh, basically there's a vulnerability that is known and has been published. And there are plenty of hackers who, you know, we often hear about these zero day vulnerabilities. And that's very scary because it means there's hackers that are using uh, weaknesses in our computers that no one's aware of, and they're using those to to infiltrate, you know, our systems and to steal information and wreak havoc. Uh, but the reality is, those are very expensive, and those are generally being used by nation-state actors or for very high-profile uh, cybercriminal organized uh, cybercrime activity. And most hackers, most cybercriminals out there, they're not bothering with those because they know there are plenty of people that don't keep their computers up to date. 
and they can use last year's exploits or the year before's exploits to hack computers. So you really, uh, you really have to keep your computers up to date. You have to make sure that all of the computers that are being managed by your organization and that your staff are using to do work have, um, have their patches and their, their security systems up to date. Uh, it's important to have antivirus. You know, antivirus increasingly is not protecting people from um, the most uh, contemporary threats, if you will, but it does protect you from lots of stuff. Like if you don't have antivirus, bad things are gonna happen to your computer. So it's not a, it's not a cure-all. Antivirus doesn't you know, save you from problems, but if you don't have it, you're almost guaranteed to, to experience issues. So that's important. Um, Multi-factor authentication, increasingly important. In fact, we've, we've uh, this year, um, many of the organizations that we support uh, have basically been given notice by their insurance companies that if you don't have multi-factor authentication enabled across your organization, we're gonna cancel your cyber, cyber liability policy um, or your premiums are gonna go up drastically. So that's something that the insurance industry has, been, has really been rocked by um, cyber incidents over the last year. Uh, for the first time ever, claims exceeded premiums in 2020. Uh, a lot of money is being lost. And so the insurance companies are getting very serious about cybersecurity. So multi-factor authentication, one of the best ways um, to protect your accounts from being hacked. Um, I don't have time to go into it in great detail. This is another one. Uh, there's a great resource um, in the uh, PDF that I sent out at the beginning of the webinar that gives more information on that. Make sure your backups are up to date. Make sure you have good backups and a good backup system. Uh, ransomware, which is the cyber, the cyber um, criminal activity where uh, malicious software gets deployed to your computers. It encrypts all of the files on the computer and basically can't get any of your data unless you pay a ransom to get the, the decryption key. Um, don't pay the ransom, have a backup of your files instead, and then you can just ignore the ransom request, delete all the encrypted files and restore from your backup. So backups are generally speaking, uh, the best um, way to protect yourself against ransomware attacks. Make sure you have a good spam filtering system in place. Um, Google has spam filtering. Um, Microsoft Office 365 also has spam filtering. Make sure it's set up properly, that it's turned on, that it's configured, that it's working. Um, but a lot of um, cybercrime happens through phishing, you know, through emails. And if, you're, if you've got your spam filtering set up, it can, it can help a lot. Uh, it can't protect you against everything though, and that's where security awareness training really comes in. Um, make sure your staff are aware of the threats that we're all facing, that your organization is facing, and go with, have a training program um, that will, you know, they can, they can learn about what the threats are and how to protect themselves against those threats. Um, we use a solution called Know Before, which basically sends out fake phishing campaigns. So it's pretending to be a hacker, sending out emails, and then if someone clicks on one of those fake phishing attempts, it takes them to a website that says, well, this turns out this was a fake phishing attempt. If this had been a real phishing attempt, you know, your computer would be compromised at this point. And then it takes them to a little training video where they can learn more about um, you know, hacking attempts and all that. 
we found it to be very effective. Just a little bit of training goes a long way. And um, none of these other tools are going to be effective if, uh, if your staff are not, are not trained as well. So training is very important. Um, it's, it's really important to uh, prioritize cybersecurity. Here are some um, action steps that you can take uh, if you want to make cybersecurity a more central part um, of your organization. Review your existing controls. Uh, have a clear understanding of your risk profile. So really think about who might be targeting you. Most organizations probably don't have enemies that are actively targeting them. They're just subject to the same kind of cybercrime that we're all experiencing. But some organizations do have adversaries uh, that are going after them. And you want to understand who they are and uh, what their motives are. Um, it's really important to know your adversary uh, when you're developing a security posture. And then finally, you want to make sure that it's budgeted. Um, cybersecurity has to be included in, in, your, in your budget. All right. So that concludes the, the formal part of the presentation. I wanted to leave plenty of time for Q&A. And I see there's some additional questions here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to those. Um, actually, before I do that, if any of you have to go, I just want to mention really quick that our next webinar appropriately enough, is on training, IT training, uh, how to do it, and why, how to justify it, and, um, and how to do it. So that's going to be next month, uh, Wednesday, September 19th, third Wednesday at, one, at three o'clock, sorry, next month. So I hope you can join us for that. So uh, Q&A, um, let me see here. Ah, so, well, this is just a follow-up to the question about leasing. Also from Ken. Thank you, Ken. Um, he suggests checking with the finance team to see if there's an advantage to spreading, the, spreading out the cost of leasing as an operating expense, expense versus a capital expense that depreciates. I think that's exactly right. It, the leasing versus buying ends up becoming almost completely a financial question. Um, and different organizations have different approaches you know their thresholds are different from what they can capitalize what they need to capitalize and um, i've seen it go both ways so i think that's that's a good good suggestion um on average how much would you budget for cybersecurity for an organization with less than 20 staff um i don't have a ready number um i would say that all of the things i think you need to budget enough um to make sure the computers are being updated, like all of the minimum acceptable standards that I reviewed, make sure you have enough in your budget to um, ensure that the computers are being updated. And it's important to note that that is not a software solution, it's an IT management solution. So there is software involved in it, but there's also, it needs to be an IT management process in the sense that someone's reviewing it, making sure that it's running uh, making sure that the updates are happening. So identifying someone in the organization or you know, outsourcing to your, to your IT support provider um, to take that on. Uh, making sure that antivirus 
is, is included. I know um, a lot of organizations have started to use Microsoft's uh, Windows Defender for their antivirus. It's a good solution. And in some ways, antivirus is one of the most sort of commoditized um, IT solutions out there. They're basically all using the same definitions, the same type of engine, the same sort of scanning to see if you have any viruses on your machine. So there's not a great difference between different virus solutions um, from the from the you know on, on the computer software standpoint. The difference comes in with the management. It's the same sort of thing. Like if the engine stops running, if the updates, uh, the definitions stop being updated, you need to make sure that you have a way of figuring that out quickly and addressing it quickly. So that's our only concern with um, Windows Defender. We're not entirely sure that the management interface is is uh, as good as some of the sort of dedicated antivirus tools. So you want to make sure that you have that. Um, you know, paying for the additional licenses if you have if you have uh, Microsoft 365 for multi-factor is important. Paying for backups is important. So really kind of depends. I would I would do a bottom-up budgeting exercise where you're you know figuring out how much is it going to cost to do all of these things effectively security awareness training um, and those costs will depend on the specific solutions um, that you go with i hope that helped um, uh, how do i select a remote support person we desperately need this we are all on macs and use google workspace um, there are uh, so I think it, depending on the size of your organization, you'd want to think about if you're a smaller organization that's relatively independent, you know, your staff are generally know what they're doing, but you just need to call someone every once in a while. Um, when you have issues arise that are sort of beyond the, the technical ability of, of your existing staff. In those cases, I feel like independent consultants um, can be very effective. Uh, if, you, if you're interested in having someone sort of take ownership um, of, of managing the technology for the organization and your staff um, need like a help desk to call regularly, then I would recommend looking at going with a managed services provider. We actually have a, um, a, uh, a guide on our website that you can download 12 questions that you should ask any managed services provider um, that, you're, that you're considering working with. Obviously, we'd love to be considered. Um, Usually what happens in the nonprofit sector is people go to their peers, they ask around and find out, well, who are you working with? Who do you, who do you like? And I would definitely talk to, you know, at least three or four different managed services providers uh, before making a decision on, on who to work with. Um, great question. I've been told that Mac machines uh, don't need antivirus software because they're less vulnerable to malware. Is that true? Um, it's, it depends. <laughs> depends on who you ask. Um, Mac, there is Mac malware. I mean, that's, it's not like Mac machines are completely immune from malware. There is malware that's designed to get to Macs. Uh, Macs tend to have um, the security model in, in the Mac OS operating system is designed in such a way that makes it um, less susceptible to, anti to viruses and malware than Windows. And the install base is so much smaller. There's just so many more 
Windows workstations out there that um, most cyber criminals, it's just a crime of opportunity. So they're gonna go with the larger install base. Uh, if your organization has real security concerns, um, then you should certainly look at getting um, a, uh, a Mac-based antivirus system. We've caught, we have, we support um, probably 10% of the, of the machines that we support are Macs overall across our entire uh, install base. And we have antivirus running on most of those and we're catching viruses. So it's out there, it's happening. I think my recommenda recommendation would generally be to, um, to go with, we I actually, our official policy now, if our CTO is watching, he's probably screaming at me right now. Our official policy is yes, you have to have antivirus. And um, that's something that we've really changed in the last two years. So, um, sorry, that was a long-winded answer. <laughs> Um, next question is, uh, do you endorse only allowing approved applications to run on managed workstations? That's a great question. That's, I think it depends on the context. Um, if you, if, if, if you only, if you know the like 10 or 15 applications that your organization needs, um, then you can create that allow list and really lock down to allowable applications. This is something you can do in Intune. Um, and uh, that that's, creates a very secure environment. Um, the problem that we've run into when we've tried to do that is there always, there's always like one person who has some software that they need or even like applets. Like if you're going to a, a website and you need to run, you know, you, you wanna join a GoToWebinar or a Citrix WebEx event uh, you got to remember to add those to the approved application list or the person just can't join the webinar in that time. So um, we typically don't recommend it just because uh, our experience has been that it tends to cause more headaches um, than, it, than, than not. Um, and also like increasingly, um, you know, uh, increasingly the, the security incidents that we're seeing are more sort of breaches and um, persistent threat attacks, which don't rely on, on software. They're just using the software that's native to the machine. So, um, so that's, there, there are, I guess, there are situations where it's probably helpful, um, but in general, it's not our recommendation. Um, and I should have, I, Tried to send the PDF out through the chat. Let me send that again. Um, and if you still don't get it, um, please let me know and uh, I will, we can send it to you directly. All right, and this is gonna have to be our last question. Thank you all so much for the great questions and, um, and for, for joining us today, for your attention. As I mentioned before, this is gonna be recorded. You'll get a link to the YouTube video uh, later in the week. Um, if there are any of the topics that we reviewed today that are particularly interesting to you, um, that PDF has links to webinars that uh, do a deeper dive with more technical people <laughs> um, on those topics. So I encourage you to check that out. Um, so the last question, we're in the process of purchasing computers for staff and discerning um, between providing, oh, this is great. One, only PCs, two, only Macs, three, a combination of the two. Do you advise sticking with one type of computer to streamline or does that not matter? Do you advise one 
computer type over the other? Great question. Really glad we're ending on this question today. Um, there's no like a guiding principle in all of IT is simplification. So the simpler you can keep your design, um, the lower your ongoing support costs are gonna be. So having both Macs and PCs, it's going to increase your IT support costs just on principle. Uh, it may not be significant, and we certainly have plenty of clients who have hybrid environments and we can make it work. Um, you generally have to have two different um, device management solutions in place to make that work. You, couldn't, you can't use Azure to manage Macs. To manage Macs, you have to get a specialized um, software solution and invest in that. If you're gonna invest in it, you know, it, it'd be, it makes more sense to spread those investment costs across your entire organization instead of just a subset of the organization. But there are organizations that have real business reasons for having both Macs and PCs. Um, in terms of which one we would recommend, it, it depends, generally speaking, Windows machines are a better sort of general purpose device and uh, Macs tend to be a little bit more expensive um, to manage. That being said, there are a lot of cases where Macs make more sense for an organization. And we have, uh, like I said, 10% probably of our clients are Mac only. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and it's important for them. It, it, you know, makes a difference for their organization. So um, I'd be happy if you wanna reach out to me directly after the webinar, I'd be happy to talk in more detail about your, your specific case. All right, well, thank you all so much for joining us today and I uh, hope you have a great afternoon. Take care. Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community and we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website www.communityit.com so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment. Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders and you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.